Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that question threw me for a loop and drove me into a a deeper dive into the history of my faith, why I was an evangelical Christian, how that happened, where the Bible came from, how it was put together, what happened in the Reformation before that and beyond. And it was in that kind of deep dive into the history of my faith that I encountered for the first time the Catholic Church in its own words, from actual Catholic theologians. And it was then that I realized that what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not, on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I am happy to bring you a fantastic conversion story uh, from my new friend, Lorelai Sovereign. She has a great story to tell, similar to mine and and my wife's, her and her husband's, in in many parts, in in many ways. A beautiful story, uh, which at its core is a story of somebody who is deeply committed to Christ and, and the Christian church, looking for the the roots of that church, asking questions about the fundamentals of Protestant theology, coming up short and and digging deeper, and finding the Catholic faith uh, after the prayers of her her husband's giant family, much of the chagrin uh, of uh, her own, I guess, chagrin at having to to become Catholic, despite the the, the aunt that that harassed her and, and prayed for her for years. Ah, it's a fantastic story. I think you're going to love it. She's a fantastic storyteller with a great story to tell. So I think you'll enjoy it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. This conversation and others on this show are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Those links uh, are in the show notes for this show. Find them there if you want to help support this show financially and keep it going and growing. And thanks to those who are already supporting and underpinning the work of this show. You guys are amazing. And now, without any further ado, my wonderful conversation with Lorelai Sovereign on her conversion to the Catholic faith. It's a great one, guys. I think you will love it. I know I did, so hopefully you do too. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for watching there. Please subscribe to our channel, uh, hit the bell, like the video, do all those fun things that you do on YouTube. And thanks for watching. If you're listening on podcast, please make sure you follow us on your podcasting app of choice. And if you are on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review. That helps to push the podcast out to new people and expand the listenership and, and help stories like this one reach more and more people. I am joined this week for a 
fantastic conversation with Lorelai Sovereign. She joyfully joined the Catholic Church in 2016 after many years as a Protestant. She lives outside of Chicago with her husband, four children, and a dog named Saint. I love that. She writes about faith and the family life on thiscatholicfamily.com and is also a children's author with two published books through Penguin Random House. Most recently, a Catholic retelling of The Secret Garden called The Edge of the In-Between. This is going to be a fantastic conversation, Lorelai. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show and hello. Hello, I am so excited to be here. You actually played a part in my story, Uh-oh. like without you ever <laughs> knowing who I was many years back. So I'm really excited to get the chance to actually talk to you. Wow, you didn't say that before I met you. So this isn't really fair. It's <laughs> like an ambush. I hope I hope a good part. You know, the the first article I ever wrote uh, on my blog when I before I became Catholic, actually. So I became Catholic in 2015. So not long before you. And I wrote an article uh, on a little tiny blog that I had at the time for friends and family called What Sucks About the Catholic Church. And th- this is like my, my, and it was intended, like the, the, the punchline, you know this as a, as a writer, the punchline was that I suck and I have, to, I have to work on myself first too. But that of course was, was at the end of the article and I led with the headline of What Sucks About the Catholic Church. And that article on my tiny little blog went went viral and I had my first like television spot on a bunch of different networks talking about this wow. article and I was like wow I hope that nobody like knows me through just this article and this is the guy that like hates the Catholic Church or, or something because that was I don't know it was a good article I think <laughs> but it that's was awesome it was that's a little amazing. bit <laughs> spicy so I hope it wasn't that that you first found it me it wasn't so that well, one right? that wasn't the first one that I found me oh, through no you. <laughs> That's that's awesome. Okay, so uh, you were a convert to the Catholic faith. You have an awesome story. I read a bit of it. I don't want to spoil too much of it. Um, but I think what I'll do is I will kind of step back a little bit. Listeners love me to just be quiet and you just to tell your story. And then we'll dig in along the way to things that, that are of, are of, of deeper interest, uh, points of intersection. Uh, dig into those places there and, and go a little bit deeper. But for now, uh, maybe just start as far back as you want to start with your own faith journey. Sure. Where where does it begin for you? Yeah, for me, it begins um, at a date I don't remember. Um, actually, I was baptized Catholic as an infant, oh, but not man. raised Catholic. It was kind of a check the box kind of a <laughs> a thing. Like I didn't see a Catholic church other than a funeral on occasion or driving past it. Like that was the only time I went into a church or a wedding. Um, But for me, my personal faith journey really began when I was a really young kid. I just loved Jesus. I was going to a Nazarene church with my family starting at around age five. We started going to church regularly and I just loved I love Jesus. I felt like Jesus loved me. I think I still have the card where I filled out the little sinner's prayer um, (laughs) thing, you know, that I asked Jesus into my heart. I think I still have that. Um, But for me, it was just something that was so easy and so natural and just became part of my childhood. I was deep into like the Jesus freak era, like DC talk, (laughs) newsboys, audio adrenaline. So into my like teen years, I had a, a fervor for Jesus that was sometimes strange and <laughs> and quite quite a lot, you know, just kind of didn't listen to secular music and um, just, I don't know, it was really deep into the 90s Christian yes, culture yes, yes. in the evangelical world. So um, ended up going to an Assembly of God youth group and the people like 
my friends there and the people at the church would talk in tongues. So I got comfortable being around that, even though I never really felt like I could talk in tongues. Like that really wasn't a thing, but I just consistently, even through like a lot of hard things in my life, like my parents getting divorced, a parent who was struggling with addiction, Jesus was always there. And that was just this thread in my life that I didn't really question until much later. Um, So that's kind of like the, the synopsis, I guess, of my very early journey before Catholicism even entered the picture a little bit was just very evangelical, loved God, president of Bible club at high school, <laughs> like just, you know, all the things what would Jesus do bracelets, yes, everything, course. everything. Yeah. Um, so that all just, that just was all there. And then um, after my freshman year of college, I ended up meeting a young man whose name was John Paul. And he was named after St. John Paul II (laughs) and thought he was super cute when, when I met him that first time. And I remember going home and telling my mom, like I met this really nice boy, but the only thing is he's Catholic. (laughs) And she kind of was like, why is that a big deal? But somewhere along the way, I realized that I had inherited some anti-Catholicism just from people talking. I don't really remember, like there wasn't like a sermon that I remember that was like really anti-Catholic, but there was something inside me that I had just like taken into my own that something wasn't quite right with Catholicism. And like, I knew some of those reasons, some of them were they're too into Mary, right? Um, Why do they need to go to confession when we can just talk to God ourselves and ask him to forgive our sins. Um, all of the, the really common things that I think a lot of us had, like, why would Mary be ever virgin? Like, why did that matter? Why is that important? Um, so that was all kind of there. And that wasn't enough to keep me from stop, like to stop me from dating this guy named John Paul. So I started, we started dating. I went to visit his family one time on this ski trip and his whole family, it's this huge Catholic family, like just so many cousins, just everywhere, <laughs> cousins everywhere. And they all went together in this room to pray at the end of the night. Um, I think it might've been like the divine mercy chaplet now, but at the time it was like a lot of Hail Marys and stuff I didn't <laughs> understand. And I removed myself from that room and went upstairs into a bathroom and just like cried because I didn't know what they were doing. And I thought it was heretical and I thought it was something other than Christianity. And it was very scary. You know, like it was kind of, you know, just, they're all saying the same thing in this monotonous tone. And I'm like from the assemblies of God youth group, you know, (laughs) there's people speaking in tongues and talking to Mary and like, just none of it made sense. So So that became really early on um, a struggle for us in our relationship. John Paul became my husband, JP. So like we're married now, Um, but all throughout our dating, I was exposed to this Catholic family and his aunt would like pull me aside at family gatherings and try and explain to me why Mary had to be ever virgin. (laughs) And like, I just didn't get it and wasn't in a spot to really like, internalize anything that they were saying to me at all. And when we got engaged, I actually entered RCIA at that point in time and dropped out because I just like, I couldn't even, I couldn't handle like not literally interpreting everything in the Bible. Um, 
all of the extra books in the Bible. There were so many things that they talked about that I just, I was sola scriptura, like Bible alone, faith alone, all of that stuff. So I dropped out of RCIA and just thought this isn't going to happen for me. So we, we still got married. Um, it was still to this day, like the thing we probably most frequently fought about was what were like, what were we going to do when we had kids? Like what church were we going to go to? Um, I really kind of pummeled him with all of the questions, the, all of the arguments. And he really at that time wasn't really prepared to answer me. He didn't really have, he grew up with the faith, just accepting it probably a lot. Like I had just accepted my evangelical faith. And then we get engaged and, and married actually Catholic wedding as well. So funny, like (laughs) funny turn of events there. We didn't have a full mass, but we had a liturgy um, of the word and we got married in the Catholic church at his college. So I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, God was giving me these graces that I didn't even know I was getting. I was in a sacramental marriage. (laughs) I didn't even know what a sacramental was. (laughs) Like really, I didn't really get it. Like I got, I got that it was serious and I got that it was something more than just like a legal agreement. But did I have any deep understanding of sacramentality? Like, no, I didn't because we didn't have anything like we didn't have anything tangible as evangelicals, like, you know, we have things in the Catholic church that we can touch, that we can taste, that we can hear that, you know, like all of these senses get incorporated into these sacraments. And in my evangelical world, I had, like, I was often chasing a feeling and, and it was so real. Like I want, like my faith was real, but I didn't have anything to hold on to. So I was often chasing this spiritual high that, um, you can't sustain it's it was just something like I'd go to camp and I would have this spiritual high and then it would it would fade and I would think I did something wrong because like why can't I just stay in that place and it even though I felt like I was once saved always saved like I still like how many times did I rededicate myself to Christ and and how many times did I get baptized a couple more I think than, than my infant <laughs> baptism so well, you know, I, like I was living a life of once saved, always saved. Like there was this constant, like I, the sense of like needing to keep coming back, even though I didn't really realize that that was maybe a little bit incongruent with, with that idea that one and done. Um, so, so we got married and we had the Catholic wedding and first year of marriage, just continually the thing that we fought about the most was our faith. We, for a while, we went to Catholic mass And then we would go to evangelical church service and we would go to two services on a Sunday to try and like support each other. But we kept wondering like, what's going to happen when we have babies? Like, what are we going to tell them? And what are they going to, what are they going to do? And how, what are they going to think is their faith? And what are we going to tell them is the right thing to believe? And it got to a point where I pushed so hard on these things. And my husband was so, not like ready to answer the questions that I had that he, for the sake of unity in our marriage, actually stepped away and stopped going to mass. And truly like, he will say this, he's like in the other room right now, but he will say this, like that he didn't know what he was leaving when he did that. He didn't know if he had known what he was leaving, um, then maybe he wouldn't have done it. But also we kind of look back now and think, well, maybe that was something that had to happen to get me 
there in the, in the long run to get me to, to be in union with the Catholic church. And so he, he stepped away and we ended up going to uh, Lutheran church, Missouri synod, which I argued was closer to Catholicism <laughs> than anything I had done before. But that was like that type of traditional stuff without the stuff that I couldn't handle. So it didn't have the same devotion to Mary, right? Like it, it didn't, ha- it had like consubstantiation, you know, not transubstantiation. So it was, it was close, but it just, it didn't have praying to saints. So it took away the stuff that I was uncomfortable with. And it let us find what we thought at the time was possibly unity because we both had kind of left a little bit of something to find some common ground. So, so we were Lutheran for, for a while and, um, had our first two kids in, um, in that setting. So they were actually both baptized as infants in the Lutheran church. Um, so we had Felicity as our oldest and then August is our second. And, uh, it's a, it's funny looking back because also all of our kids have saint <laughs> attachments and the first two, we didn't even know we were doing it at the time. So that's another just little like thing that I think God wanted me to smile at looking back. Cause he knew, he knew where I'd end up. So we, we had our time as Lutherans. We moved um, due to my husband's work closer to Chicago and we couldn't really find a Lutheran church that, uh, that worked well for us. We ended up moving back to Wisconsin and we ended up going to um, First Christian Church, which was a really nice church. It was very focused on social justice and service to others and the church going out and actually helping the community, which is really, really beautiful. Um, Ended up moving again. And then we found ourselves at a church that was uh, pretty associated, I believe, with Baptist church. It was just, you know, called one of your generic church titles like and and it um it was affiliated with the baptist so we encountered for the first time the idea of predestination and calvinism in in that whole world um at that point my husband and i had two kids and we were you know mid late late 20s like just adults, you know, like that, not transitioning to adults, but we were kind of doing the grown up thing, parents and had jobs and, and all that stuff. And we found a few things. One of the things that we found was, or that I found was that, that I had a history in my life of leading worship. So at any, pretty much any church that I went to, I would sing for that church and eventually would probably get to like lead the worship for certain Sundays, um, or do backup or whatever, but sometimes I would lead. And these were often like, this was, this went back to when I was like 12 at the Nazarene church. Like I would lead worship. We didn't even have a band. We would like put in a cassette tape and just like sing over the main track. And then I moved to high school and was at the even, or at the assemblies of God church. And I was leading the high school, some of the songs in the high school worship team and would sing sometimes like solos on the Sunday and then just keep it rolling. Like I would canter at the Lutheran service. And like, I just, I, and I eventually ended up at these more contemporary churches, like on a stage where there were lights and we had headsets and, um, you know, there was a full band behind us, like of people who knew how to play instruments pretty well. 
And so when we ended up at this, this Baptist influenced church, I started questioning if everything that I had grown up believing was actually true. And I think it was a moment for me of, is this faith my, like a cartoon? Like, is it fake? Like, is it actually, is it real? Was it, I was either going to hang on to it or I was going to drop it as something that I grew out of. I just didn't know if it had any legs to stand on or any backbone just as a religion yeah. as a whole. And there wasn't really a lot of depth there for me. Like, even though I felt God throughout my life, I, at this point I wanted, is it historically true? Is it logically true? Is it possible that this stuff actually happened? And if not, then what am I doing? So we found ourselves going to church, but my husband was kind of in a similar place. And we found ourselves kind of living more like practical agnostics, but like going to church. Our faith didn't really influence our day-to-day other than we tried to be nice people, but my prayer life was nothing. I wasn't really reading the Bible because I had memorized it all when I was a kid, (laughs) when I did Bible quizzing, like I knew it, Uh, but you know, I wasn't in it. I wasn't reading it. And there was a certain Sunday where I was leading worship and I knew how to do all the things. Like I could raise my hands. I could get people, you know, out in the congregation to raise their hands and close their eyes and feel something but I'm singing these words and I'm helping people to feel something. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if I believe this. I am lying right now. (laughs) I am a liar. And that was the moment I knew I had to step away from leading worship because it wasn't real. Like I didn't know if I actually believed it. And it was a lie for me to stand up there and get people to feel things at these songs if I didn't really know if I thought any of it was true. So I made up some excuse to recuse myself from the worship team and didn't tell the real reason, but (laughs) I did the best I could at the time. I was just trying to like get myself out of like blatantly lying in front of a couple hundred people on Sunday. And we did a few other things at that time. We tried to go through the membership class for that church. And that was a really big one for us because we, um, we sat in there and the guy who was teaching the class did that classic thing. You know, the two cliffs where like there's a cross that they put in the middle of the two cliffs and then you walk across it and you're a Christian. So he drew that on the board. And so he drew the two cliffs and then he, he said like, Jesus, you know, makes it possible for you to be in union with God. And he drew the the cross and kind of had a little stick figure, you know, that could walk across. And then JP stood up and went up to the board and he was like, but what happens if you've crossed and then you decide to cross back over? to the, to the first side of the cliff that you were originally on. And and the guy who was teaching the class was like, you can't do that. And and JP was like, (laughs) JP was like, but I think, but I think we're currently doing that. So, so that was when we both kind of realized that once saved, always saved wasn't the story we were living. Because somebody could have asked me if I, like, I prayed that prayer when I was a kid. I lived Christian life. I lived it in my heart. I lived it with everything to the point that I was a weirdo sometimes. <laughs> but then you put it, fast forward us to our late 20s. And I don't know if I believe it anymore. I don't think I do. And so I see us literally like walking back over to the other side and knowing that that is my lived experience. And someone's telling me that's not possible. And I'm like, mm, you know, like, I think 
I think that's what we're doing. So we actually didn't complete that membership class because we couldn't actually say that we assented to certain things. And then there was the whole like Calvinist, the total depravity thing um, that we are, the idea that we are um, like just dung and Jesus covers us with the white sheet and then God can't see all of our, you know, dung that is us. He just sees the white sheet um, versus the idea that that we're gold and we can sometimes be covered with dung. But what God can do is he can wipe away that and uncover the goodness and the beauty that is, is in there because of us being made in the image of God. So we realized pretty quickly as well that we were not Calvinists, that we did not believe in total depravity. Uh, another big belief that they had was the idea of predestination and that certain people are just destined for heaven and certain people are just destined for hell. And um, just the idea of that with free will and with God's love and all of those things just never really computed for me. So we didn't we didn't go through the membership class and I eventually started looking into just trying to figure out if this faith was something that was real kind of on my own. And there was a really helpful book for me. It's by a Protestant pastor, Timothy Keller. And he wrote a book called The Reason for God. And that book really helped me reframe that childhood understanding of who God was into my grown-up understanding of that. Oh, I think this might actually be real. And so I read that book and that really helped. C.S. Lewis has always helped. Like he's great. And so then I found myself at this place where I was like, okay, you know, I've kind of gone on this soul searching. I think this is true, but like, how do I live it then? How do I live this truth the most fully while I'm here on earth? And I started asking some very dangerous questions. I started asking questions like, what did the early church look like? for example. And that was a question I posed at our small group at the time. And no one could tell me what the early church looked like. And that started to really bother me. I thought, shouldn't we know though? Like, shouldn't we know what the early church looks like? And no one did. And no one seemed to really think it was an important question. And I started looking at the stage and these lights and these headsets, not that there's anything like intrinsically wrong with any of those things, but the auditorium style. And I started wondering like this, but this can't be it though. Right. <laughs> like, like this can't be what the early church looks like. And I started to have a desire to find what that was. So at the same time, we had my husband, JP, um, very surreptitiously and secretively. He had a long commute at the time um, from our where we lived to Chicago, and he was riding a train. And he started sneakily checking out um, theology books from the library where he was doing his postdoctoral fellowship. <laughs> and several of them were Catholic. And so he's like on the train, like, like starting to read these Catholic books, but he didn't want to tell me what he was doing because he, it had not gone well, historically speaking, (laughs) it had gone, it had gone so poorly. So he's just like quietly feeling drawn back to the Catholic church. Right. So there was this one Sunday and it is one of my favorite turning points in this whole journey. We were on a date, we were going out to dinner 
um, actually right before this, right before this, the night before this, I was sitting on the couch after he had gone to bed and I was thinking through all these things, like how much our faith was tied to emotion, how I did just so many things. Like I just didn't feel connection to history. I didn't understand like what the roots were, what the depth was, all these things. And I, all of these memories come flooding in of all of these random times. I was like at mass with JP's enormous family when I was with his like enormous set of cousins and his aunt and all these things and something locked into place. And I thought, oh no, (laughs) I am thinking like a Catholic (laughs) and that was a weird moment. Like I literally remember where I was sitting on the couch, just being like, I'm thinking like a Catholic. So everything, everything flips from there. So we are out to dinner the next night and it's snowing outside the restaurant. It's very pretty. And I had not prefaced this with anything with my husband at all, but I just said, it was like a Saturday night. And I said, would you want to go to mass tomorrow <laughs> instead? <laughs> and, and he didn't even know what to do with himself. Cause that was very random coming for me. Cause he didn't know I was on this path yeah, either. Yeah, and he yeah. was like, yes, I would like to go to mass. (laughs) I would love to go to mass tomorrow. And he couldn't believe it. And so I got home that night and I sent a Facebook message to one of my only friends at the time who I knew was Catholic from this mom's group. And I was like, where do you go to mass? And like, what time? And like, and so she, like her and I are still friends. So she's told me like where they went to mass and what time they would be there. And so we take our little evangelical family into mass. And I just was like, okay. Like for the first time mass didn't offend me. I was always so offended by it. Like I was offended by it. Why are we kneeling? Like, what are you kneeling in front of? It's, you know, like it's not right. Or I'm not included. How come I can't receive communion? I don't have a pro. I never had a problem with transubstantiation. So I was just like, why, why on earth would you not let me receive communion? And so that bothered me. So I always found all these reasons to be super offended. So I wasn't offended anymore. And we found some people after mass and I was like, how do I like get in here? Like, what do we do? And they were, (laughs) they were in the middle of an RCIA cycle, like, or just kind of, you know, a little bit on the front end. And because of all of the research and things like I had been doing, they let me hop in to that class in December. So I text my sister's-in-law, like, that week. And I was like, guess where I am? I was like, I'm about to go to RCIA. And my sisters-in-law who knew this whole journey were just like, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like what? And so that was, that was fun. Um, they were really surprised because their family had really been praying for like 10 years yeah, yeah. for me to convert, to become Catholic. And I was so offended by their prayers <laughs> the whole time. Just stop praying for me. I'm fine. And just all of that. So, so they were really excited. Um, I was really at a point where I was going to ask all the hard questions though, because I, I was believing and thinking, okay, this faith is, is probably true, but if it is true, it's probably here. And if it's not here, then it's probably nowhere. And so it was really kind of do or die for me because I understood the logic of it. And I understood that there was more depth to it than I had thought there was before. But if Catholicism turned out to not be the truth, then I didn't really think there was anywhere else for me to go. And then I I would probably let it all go at that (laughs) point. So I brought all of my questions. I brought all the hard hitting questions, asked everything. I held nothing back in these classes and I had really great teachers 
And they answered every single one of them. And all of a sudden it was like the light started like coming on and everything started shifting. And there were times when I would walk in for RCA and they would have adoration going on in this chapel off to the side of the church. And I can't explain this as anything other than like God, because why would I want to go into a room where a piece of bread was displayed in a golden case? Like, why would I care? I wanted in that room. Like I knew something was happening in that room. That was really special. And I just, something deep inside me wanted to be in that room. And there was no logical reason why I would want to be in that room. So that's actually where you come in. Uh Um, Yes. (laughs) So I was reading all of these articles or looking for articles, right? Because it's really, it's good news. It's really, it was really helpful. So I found a lot of your blogs that you would write. And I loved the polite, like just very like respectful tone, the cordial cat, you know, you live up to the name, but like, it was just, it was logical and it was respectful and it made sense to me. So I, I like devoured all these articles that you wrote and, you know, other converts wrote during that time, because I was starting to feel fairly alone in our journey. No one else was coming with us. Like we were just doing this on our own. We got, we got kicked out of our small group at the Protestant church. Like we weren't even allowed to say goodbye. We lost all of our friends. No one wanted to hang out with us anymore. So I was really lonely. So I would just constantly like Google, like evangelical converts to Catholicism, like Catholic apologetics, all these things. And so your articles are really helpful. So I'm glad I get the chance to say thank you because thank you. Yeah. So they, they were great and they, they made a difference. And my mom also, um, I told her I was coming on your podcast and she was like, tell her I say hi. Cause she also read a lot of your articles too. She ended up getting confirmed a year after me. I love your mom. Um, yeah. Um, she's great. Yeah. So I was her confirmation sponsor Wow. a year after my confirmation, <laughs> which was great. Oh. So anyway, so you're, yeah. So I was reading these articles. I was on the coming home network website a lot. I was watching a lot of journey home episodes and just feeling less alone in that, which was so nice. So we kind of got the whole process like done and through. And because I was baptized Catholic, I was able to go to confession and receive my first communion yeah, before my confirmation. Cause I had those sacraments done. Um, so that was great. And then I ended up getting confirmed in Minnesota, which is where most of JP's family lives. And all these crazy sovereigns <laughs> who had been praying for me for 10 years, like packed the pews at the cathedral of St. Paul <laughs> and got to see me, come into the Catholic church, which, wow. and then the aunt, the aunt who made me cry was my confirmation <laughs> sponsor, which wow. full circle. So I don't know, that brings us up to like, there's seven years since then, but that mm. brings us up to like the moment of my confirmation where I felt like everything that I had questions about got answered where I felt like I finally was connected to the history of our church, where I understood what the early church practiced and that Catholicism keeps and and maintains so many of those beautiful things. The theological depth is there. I love the sacraments. I love confession. Now going to confession is one of my favorite things. It's so healing and so beautiful. So that was kind of like, that's up till that day, but now I've got like, I've had life since then too, but 
Oh, that's yes. that's fantastic. <laughs> there, there really are a lot of similarities to, to my own journey and my wife's journey and our family's journey. And I think that's kind of funny and strange. Way back even in, in high school with the cool, with, you know, Newsboys, DC Talk, like let's... Yes. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> and I'm sure when, you, when you, you were on the journey home, which also is... Is surreal, right? We can just have a little, a little. I mean, debrief on that for a bit. You and I, maybe off, yes. <laughs> off the air. But watching, watching that show, I must have devoured. I mean, I must have devoured thirty hours or something of that, of that, or probably even more than that of that show. I used to, you know, in the early days of YouTube, just consume those episodes all until like three or four in the morning sometimes before we had kids. Just watch those over and over again. And I remember. Uh, David Anders, who I'm a huge fan of, he had an amazing journey from Lutheranism, from Calvinism into the Catholic Church. And I watched his his episode probably just 12 times, just his, because he nice. so succinctly <laughs> laid out his journey and why Luther was wrong, why Calvin was wrong, why it made no sense. And I, I just, I love those. And then, of course, you had some experience too of then going on the show and kind of being like, well, what am I doing on the show? I'm not, I'm not yeah. worthy of telling my yes. story. But then yes. thinking that that, that that then impacts other people. It's this weird, like, discipleship kind of process, which is so strange to think that others now watch your video and, and are are doing what we used to do, right? That's, yes. that's wild. Yeah, it is, and you never know who those people are in most yeah. cases. Yeah. So it's just kind of trusting that that's out there and available for whoever it will be helpful for. It was such a, such a cool opportunity. I had originally just like sent in my written conversion story. And then I got an email back asking about yeah. going on the show. And I was like, what me? EW? I used to be afraid of EWTN. Yeah. Like <laughs> that was, yeah. That's so that, that was awesome. That's yeah. Amazing. It was fun. And you would have met Matt Swaim, probably a fellow Nazarene Bible quizzer. So did you guys have a Bible <laughs> quiz off when you, when you met him? Because yeah. You, so <laughs> Yeah, we had a lot in common. I've actually never met him in person. He was out the week I was okay. filming, but we've we've spoken a lot. And I was on the Coming Home Network podcast with him a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah. So we got so we've like been in touch, and I think we share a lot of like the the <laughs> just like the Bible quizzing, the the music stuff. Yeah, so we've definitely like talked. I would have loved to meet him yeah, in person yeah. one day. But at least we got to talk on the podcast. <laughs> I think you should do a Bible quiz off the two of you. I mean, bring back Catholic Bible quizzing. I think that's, this could be a thing. This could be a, a ministry. It could be. I mean, yeah. we need it. We could have <laughs> we, it, right? We, yeah, we do. So I, I love that. I mean, along along the way, you you hit these kind of points. I you know I was I was Pentecostal in, in high school, so I can relate to the experience of the highs and lows of the charismatic kind of you know the the, the altar calls without the altar, which also is is strange, right? But the idea yes. to recommit yourself to Christ kind of over and over again, chasing that high of the youth you know the youth group conventions and like the the camps and like you're pursuing that in the sense in the umbrella that you you are saved. You're once saved, always saved. And in those times you don't feel that that way, right? And you and you and JP really hit that hit that wall at one point. But I, I feel like in that umbrella, there are those moments of, of trying to chase that feeling of not feeling like you're saved, because you don't have the emotional feelings, but knowing intellectually you're supposed to know that you're you're saved despite how you feel. And then of course, I love that the catalyst for you guys to begin to kind of step back and question things is hitting that kind of doctrine kind of square on, right? Realizing that, hey, we're kind of investigating this. How are we still saved? That That's a really interesting way. I don't think I've heard that before on, on this show of beginning to kind of question your kind of evangelical faith, realizing that yeah. maybe I don't 
think that I am saved anymore. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily know that I believe God can be known. Like that was kind of where I was at. So how is it, how is that possible? Like if God had like, if I don't know if something had happened to me in that moment, like I just, I just wasn't there in terms of, in terms of belief or faith or, or anything. And so, yeah, that really, that wall of once saved, always saved fell purely yeah, yeah. on personal lived experience. Yeah. And that's, I'm looking at my shelf over here for a book and I can't quite see it from where I am here, but I think it's by a guy called Paul Hacker or Hackner, who was a, a Lutheran convert to Catholicism, who wrote a book about Luther. He was very schooled in Luther and wrote a lot of, uh, on, on Lutheran theology. And one of the things he uncovers in this book is the idea that when Luther cleaved himself from the Catholic Church, he had to then have faith in some kind of institution to to know that he was saved. If you're once saved, always saved. Yeah. And the thing that I think Hackner says that Luther had faith in was his own faith. So if his own stalwart faith began to waver, he would then feel like he's not, not saved anymore. So it's this really weird thing of you have faith in God, but then you have to have faith in your own faith kind of commitment. And that sounds very similar to what you guys kind of began to bump into. And of course, if if that's like one of the core kind of things that Luther, uh, in the establishment of the Lutheran faith of of the Protestant Reformation, well, then of course, if that's not on solid footing, you can begin to kind of unwind that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it just, it made so much more sense when I started viewing our faith as an infusion of grace over a lifetime and a transition and a journey towards sanctification that may not even be complete when you die, right? That's what we have purgatory for. So the idea that, that, you know, like you can have times where you do something or you turn your heart away from God and that, that, that injures your, your relationship with God, but that you can turn back to God. And that hopefully as you go through life, you just let that love in more and more and more fully, ideally while we're still living here on earth, right? That's like our saints that we recognize. But if not, like our hearts need to be ready for love. We need to be ready for God. And so that's why we have that purgatory as as a process to finish that sanctification if it's not complete. Like that just felt so beautiful yeah, to me. Yeah. And so it almost like took the, like, I don't want to say took the pressure off, but kind of took the pressure off just in terms of like, I had, I had to believe this one thing and that was, and that was it. And that I'm good. Um, and it became more of a, not that I want to be lazy, but that I'm cooperating with God on this journey. So I had a more active role in it versus a much more passive role when you just pray the prayer and then let God, you know, do whatever, but there just really wasn't this sense that I, that I had to have an active role in my sanctification or that I could cooperate with my sanctification at all. And now it's like every day, like my heart chooses yes, or my heart chooses no, or throughout a day, my heart chooses yes, or my heart chooses no. So it's much more of a, a cooperative thing. And it's not like, it's not like I'm toiling and, and laboring, you know, working for my salvation in any sort of stress or guilt inducing way. It's this, this beautiful, just, uniting with the, with the sacraments and the graces of our faith and journeying, hopefully to let love in fully as soon as possible. Like that just, that's just, it's awesome. It's it's great. Uh, That's that's very well said. And I, I I can resonate with that, with that feeling. And I think that listeners can too come from that kind of background because I would, 
you know, you you would go to a Sunday morning service as an evangelical, and you would you'd sing worship songs, you would lead worship songs, whether you like like felt it or not, which is I think also an interesting kind of insight to that whole experience, right? But you'd you'd feel the feelings of of worship and give God kind of that glory through song. And then pray, and then hear a sermon, right? And I, the sermon was meant to be the thing that builds you up for, for becoming more like Christ, for, for service, for mission. But there never was that, like you're saying, this this sanctification kind of element to it, right? There, yes, it, it was it was weird. Like I look back at now and try to understand what I was thinking back then. But you're you're hearing a sermon and meant to then live that sermon out, meant to internalize it and become more like Christ and live a better Christian life and serve others and 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 love God more. But there wasn't really like a okay, so how and and. and how does that actually work other than just reflecting on that sermon throughout the week and, and praying more and, and reading your Bible where I, the, the difference to, to me in the Catholic faith is the mass is like that thing that's meant to actually tangibly like work on your soul, infuse yes. that grace, like a spiritual kind of exercise. Right. And of course, prayer is important and the Bible is important and the sacraments are important. And these things are, are important. It, it, to me, that the whole process, though, that sanctification process is, is so much more explicit and intentional in the Catholic Church towards making saints than it ever was for me as an evangelical. It just makes a lot more sense. Is that yeah, yeah, it's world? like... Yeah, like you almost like once you see it, you can't unsee yeah, it. It's yeah, kind of yeah. like, I feel like it's like I'm in the in the matrix. Like, you know, like I <laughs> once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I think those sermons in the evangelical church it was like nice to do, right? It'd be like good to do, but it wasn't like, like if you didn't do anything, like nothing really, yeah. you're once saved, always like it didn't really matter. And so when we go to a confession or we go to mass and we, and we enter into this, this space that removes the veil between heaven and earth for a little while. And we receive Jesus in the Eucharist, like that, like everything builds up to that. And I think that's like one of the big differences for me too, is that everything in my old church is built up to the sermon and the sermon was like 30 minutes long. And that was what it was all about. And then in mass, it builds up to Jesus. Yeah, it builds up yeah. to the Eucharist. And then we take that and it's inside and he's inside of us. And, and we carry that into our daily lives. Like that's just become such a part of the fiber of yeah. like who I am. And, and what's interesting is there was always some part of me that was drawn to communion. Yeah. There were times when I would be at a Protestant service and there would be the little cups of the juice and the little pieces of bread. And I would look at it and I would imagine it as the body and blood of Jesus. Like it meant a lot to me. I would sometimes cry thinking about it. And now I can see that it was a desire yeah. for the Eucharist, like inside of me that I didn't even really understand what the Eucharist was then, but I would just look at that, that grape juice and I would imagine it as Jesus's blood. And so to know that that really exists, like I didn't know that that really existed somewhere. And then when I did um, and had access to that, like that, I don't know, just it filled something. <laughs> that's it's so, that's interesting because for me, it was almost the opposite. I always hated communion because to me, I couldn't quite understand why we were doing this thing. Why, why once a month? And just the whole process, laborious, like the handing out of this and the passing along and the waiting, it and it, it's not really a rational like dislike. I don't really know why I disliked it so much, but I <laughs> but I always had this feeling of like this doesn't feel right. I don't like this, and I attach that now to the fact that 
Well, because it wasn't the Eucharist. It wasn't what Christ mm. said it was. And it makes sense in hindsight to me why I disliked it so much. But at the time, it was this really weird, kind of irrational, kind of, oh, not this, oh, it's, oh, it's this Sunday again. Like, oh, come on. But yeah, it would I, make I, the service longer. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I, I think it was this strange <laughs> longing that I yeah. didn't really understand yeah. until it was satisfied in the, in, in the actual Eucharist. And I can remember one time before I even became Catholic, just struck me as so strange listening to an evangelical pastor in the communion service before communion, reading the words of St. Paul in Corinthians, talking about quoting Christ, this is my blood, this is my body. And he, he changed the words. So he, he, he had his Bible there, but, but he read, this is like my body. This is yes. like my blood. And I went, wait a second. Yes. I know that's not what the Bible says. I know that's not what the scripture you're reading. That translation does not say like. Oh and my gosh. that struck me as, wait a second, what are we doing here? And that, yes. you know, that was in some way a catalyst for beginning to unwind this thinking of, okay, but Christ didn't say like, but then why do we have to add that in there? In but, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. There was actually a moment, we had a similar moment. Our kids had the Jesus Storybook Bible. Yes. And it was oh. a very common Bible <laughs> given out. <laughs> it was very commonly given out at our churches that we went to. And that also has that change where in the communion yeah. scene, he said, this is like my body. This is like my blood. <laughs> and I also, this was like on our journey. So we were already like pretty much Catholic at that point. But I was like, nope, we're not. That's not, we're going to get a different kid's Bible because that's not the thing. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, it's always interesting. Certain of our churches would have an alt. Some of them still had an altar. Some of them didn't have an altar. Some of them, we'd only have communion once in a while, but it was just, yeah, there was always just something that wasn't, wasn't full for me until I became Catholic. And then now we're like seven years (laughs) past my conversion, my husband's reversion. Obviously he came with me. Um, back into, you know, two more kids. We have two kids who've had their first communions and I'm so grateful that my kids have access to this at such a young age. Like I know I had to go on my journey, but the fact that my two oldest kids have access to the Eucharist and confession at such a young age, like what a gift that they have those graces. And I'm so thankful for that, for them. Um, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, I wish I could have had it that long, but I know I had to go on this story. This was my, this was my journey, but it's just really cool to see my kids already like leaning into the rhythms of our faith and asking to go to confession. And we, I work at a Catholic school. So I, we walk through the parish often to get to my classroom and there's adoration sometimes and it's no longer a piece of bread, you know, in a, in a golden <laughs> container for me. So we will go in and we'll just say good morning to Jesus for a couple of minutes. And there's just such a, such a roots in that. And to know that we have been, we're doing the same thing that Christians have been doing since the beginning of our faith, that yet yeah, we are a part of something that runs so deep and so far back. Um, like you just can't, you can't replace that groundedness. You can't know what that is until until you know what it is almost. Like I didn't know what that was until I went there and had it. Yeah, that is that is the, the challenge of this show for me for, for the last four years doing this podcast and blogging before that is trying to express that, th- that, that you, you have to really 
in a sense, begin to live it to understand the depth and beauty of that. It's very hard to articulate, I think, but there is that 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 beauty in the roots and the groundedness and the history and the and the practice of of the rich faith. We have the unique situation of I became Catholic while my wife was pregnant. Of go me, like what <laughs> husband of the year? Okay, and actually in. In, in her first experience of Mass, she fainted. She's a fainter during during pregnancy. We, we know this now in hindsight. Oh, my she, goodness. She's fainted like once per pregnancy so far, it oh, seems wow. like. Just, you know, wh- whatever happens, the the uh, physics is the wrong word, uh, the biology, the the hormones, the yeah. the body's doing things. She often w- will faint at least once, once a pregnancy. Yeah. We didn't know that at the time, but this was our, the, the first fainting. And we're in Mass, and in the middle of Mass, her first experience of Mass, and all of a sudden she's going over on the gentleman next to her, and then kind of goes, whoa, what's going on? And we had to apologize. It was kind of funny because in hindsight, now her very first mass, she fainted. It was, it was just that bad. Oh, but no. she became Catholic the year after me, began, began our CIA uh, in like September of the year that I became, became Catholic. Yeah. And our son was a newborn. I think, I think the first time that I took care of him on my own was for her to go to our CIA when, oh, he, was, nice. when he was two months old or so, which is, which is kind of cool. But we had him baptized just after she became Catholic. The priest said, no, no, wait, let her do RCA first. So you're both Catholic, then baptize your son, and then you can baptize him as both Catholic. So we had this crazy history of her and I met in the evangelical church together. We, we served in that church together. We were married in that church. All our friends were in that church. But our kids will never, never know that church, right? Yes. Our son was baptized yes. Catholic. They'll only know like the after Right, they'll never know the, yes. be- the the before, and it's so it's so interesting raising our kids and seeing them, uh, you know, now go through our oldest now just had his first communion and he's now did his altar server training, so he's up there at Aww. the altar shortly, and it's so strange to see them embracing a faith that they've inherited through through yes. us as their parents, but we you know, sought out and, and converted to and and left a different faith that they have no idea about. So yeah, it, it's a very strange kind of experience <laughs> it is our kids are, th- are the same like they i don't think even our oldest i don't think she has memories yeah. like other than like maybe vague memories of the church that we left to become catholic so yeah like the bulk of their their lives like all of their lives for especially like all the younger three and mostly for our, our oldest is going to be in this faith which is so great and i don't know if this happened with you guys too but the idea of how we live out our marital vocation changed a lot when we became Catholic. And I think that that is making our family just as like a unit. So just, there's so much there. Like we view our call to be married couple, to help each other grow in holiness, right? Like we're helping each other on the journey to heaven. And I just didn't, and we got really into like theology, the body, like got like just, another matrix type type moment (laughs) that we're here to be gift to the other that we're meant to live our lives as gift to the other to will the good of the other is to love the opposite of love is to use like all of these things that respect the dignity of the human person that are allowing us to become better husband and wife to each other which helps us become better parents to our kids so they're growing up in a different family than they would have if we hadn't found if I hadn't found my way to the Catholic faith if JP hadn't found his way back like our literal like family like we have more children than we probably would have had (laughs) like 
all of those things, there's more like literal humans here um, than there would have been and how we relate to each other and how we view this vocation and how we raise our kids is all oriented toward raising our family for heaven. And that that is the main thing and respecting the dignity of the human person and showing them what actual love is. So when we send them out into the world, they know what that is. So they can recognize it when they see it and they can recognize a counterfeit when they see it. And I just didn't have any of those things Like we didn't have any of those tools before we came into Catholicism. Like we, they're just, it wasn't there to the same degree. So I don't know if you guys experienced that. At all. Well, the the funny thing for us, this is this is my wife's story, not mine. I can't I can't tell it too in depth. I don't I don't know it that well, but she met with some friends for quite a long time that we had made from our our previous church church's experience. And and the weird thing for us is that we were deeply rooted rooted deeply rooted <laughs> in this non denominational church that we, we we married we're married in all our friends are there we served in here we actually served in the 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 married couples ministry before we we left this yeah. church and we had all of our friends there and we actually moved to a neighborhood with a lot of these friends to raise our kids together and when we became catholic shortly after that all the friends in our friend group began to fall away from the faith which was crazy to us wow. because we we had pictured in our minds this this life of living downtown in this beautiful you know urban Canadian city raising our kids together with our friends going to this church and and we thought we had it all kind of kind of figured out and little did we know we'd become catholic but then all these friends we thought were such such serious faithful like really deeply rooted uh, evangelical Christians began to question their faith and began to become agnostic or, or, or atheist in some cases, began to attend kind of church less, began to get kind of distance themselves from, from yeah. religion, which was wild for us to experience that because here we are digging more deeply into our faith, becoming Catholic, and all of our friends that we thought were we were going to raise our kids with and alongside are actually leaving the faith. So that yeah, was wow. that was weird, and then conversations from my wife became or began to revolve around. Well, how do we talk to our kids about things like like sex and living yes. together and these yeah. things? And it, she mentioned one one day after meeting with these friends, came home and kind of said, "This is weird because we have such a grounding as Catholics in theology of the body and and can understand why and what we believe about sexuality yes. yeah. and these kinds of things, and." I'm listening to my to, to my friends talk about this, and they have crazy ideas. Like, well, I guess just let my kids experiment, or guess let them yeah just yep. figure it out. And of course, they're going to do these. And it's 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 crazy to to yes. think that there is that disparity. But then yes. the, the beauty and the thank God we have theology of the body and the rootedness and the sensibleness. Like it is the 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 Catholic faith makes sense, right? It's sensible yes. and these pieces fit together. Like I always say when yes. I teach RCA to these these candidates, I always say like the reason why the church prays to saints and has relics and venerates Mary and says that Christ had, a, you know, a, a body and these kind of things is the same reason why the church says you shouldn't sleep together before you're married. Like all these different pieces they might not. Yes. They might not seem sensible. They all fit together and come from the same wellspring. And if you yes, dig, if you yes. dig into them, they they fit together and they make sense, right? Opposed to this kind of like haphazard figuring out, well, why would I teach my kids this versus this? Thank goodness, right? <laughs> we yeah, have this right. I'm I'm a big 
I don't know, stickler for logical consistency. (laughs) So if, if we're going to say one thing, like I need to see it applied consistently throughout and time and time again, that was one of the things that one of the many things I saw with the Catholic faith, like we ask saints to pray for us because we ask anybody to pray for us and they have more time. They don't have dishes to do, right? (laughs) They're, they're there, like they're available. Just like I, like my husband prays for me. Like we can, I can ask the saints, you know, to pray for me. I have a St. Anthony candle behind me because we lose a lot of things (laughs) in our house. Um, but yeah, it's with those answers for our kids, especially like, you know, as our kids are starting to get older, I don't feel nervous about those conversations at all because we went through the journey of theology of the body and the Catholic teaching on human sexuality and the whole person, like a few years ago, that was actually part of my post-conversion journey was like understanding NFP, understanding theology of the body. Um, JP started reading theology of the body and just started changing in the way that he related to us as his family members. And there was a point where I was like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, what's gotten into you? And he was just really like becoming much more selfless and self-giving and everything like with our kids. Just that, that everything. Yeah. It's, it's great. <laughs> it's really, it was so helpful. So, so he like, and he was like, well, I'm reading this book called theology of the body. And I was like, what's that? And, and thus began that journey for us. But when our kids ask those questions, like we're ready for yeah. them we've seen how it's changed our marriage and our family life. And we see what happens when we have friends who don't have that. Like we've seen a lot, a lot of the devastation that can come from not understanding those really basic things. And so we can, we just have so much that we can share with them when they're ready for it. And it's so nice to just know that that is there. And that's an ongoing conversation. It's a way of living really um, is to view every single human person with that dignity and that humans, we are never an object of use and we should, we should never use someone as an object of use and that what love actually is all of those things. Like it's just all there. And I'm so excited to raise my kids in it and to have it. I like they, I believe I've read some books recently um, from some evangelical people who they're kind of starting to get there like a little bit. Um, There've been a few books that I've read or that I've seen. I actually have one that just came out for younger or for parents talking to their younger girls about it called like she deserves better and it's kind of unpacking some of the harmful messages that the evangelical community kind of had passed on especially to girls and to guys um and so they're getting there but they don't have like they don't have like all of it all of it yet like there's pieces of it there um but it seemed it seems like a positive momentum for me but it just yeah so thankful for for that, that teaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could talk about theology of the body for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> one, one thing that was for us, a kind of cornerstone of our own conversion was seeing this family therapist, right? So one of the things that we did in our conversion was to talk to a, a therapist about what was going on in, with our relationship and our, in our marriage. And we ended up trying to find a, a neutral guy to talk about this stuff with and ended up being not neutral whatsoever. Uh, we, oh, no. we learned <laughs> it, it was a Mennonite therapist who had an ax to grind. I, I feel like it, it turned out. And one of the things that he asked us in the counseling session, we were paying hundreds of dollars for, so I feel like we were maybe getting ripped off in, in this yeah. particular circumstance. But he said to me, you know, why is you want to become Catholic? Okay. And I said, well, I'm looking for like an, 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 the roots of the church is what I'm looking for. And he said to me, why is older better? 
And at that time, <laughs> I was being challenged by a guy in authority, this therapist. Yeah. I didn't know what to say. The funny thing is that later on, uh, we had a couple more sessions with him and then we kind of let him go for yeah. lots of reasons. But the more he challenged me, the funny thing is, the more my wife began to stick up for me in these sessions. <laughs> and the more she began to have to explain Catholic doctrine and dogma and my thinking of conversion to this therapist, we were paying. Okay, again, yeah, like oh, why, no. <laughs> right? But so that was a turning point for us because she began to then be able to explain what I was thinking. And, you know, you know, in, in the education field, this is this is then the that next level of knowledge when you can then explain to somebody what what yeah. you've learned and know. So that was that was cool. But that question for me for a long time stuck with me. Why is older better? And, and I couldn't answer it then, but I, I'm thinking, of, you know, you mentioned looking into the early church and kind of going, okay, well, what did the, the first Christians believe, right? As a, a catalyst for your journey. And then you begin to unwind this, the, the history of what you think your faith was and the history of how the church used to be. You know, that, that small group you mentioned where no one in the small group could, could, could explain how the early yeah. church lived. And you go, what, shouldn't we know this? Yes. Right? Yes. And, and, and the long history you mentioned, too, of the, of the Catholic faith and that rootedness of that tradition, that practicing the faith that we've always kind of practiced like this beautiful yes. Catholic liturgy and the Mass. I wonder if you could answer that question, like how you would answer that if somebody asked you, okay, so why can't I just be evangelical? Why can't I just be Protestant? Why is older? Why is a more rooted church better? Yeah, I think I think I would kind of turn it back. I've actually thought about this a lot and and ask that person to help me understand where the early church was wrong. Oh, yeah. Because it you know, we have really early writings of belief in the Eucharist. Like there there's very very early you know, in terms of history writings of that. So if if they're so close to the original event and they believe this how come we're more right yeah. than they were? Um, and that and that happens in a lot of different areas, right? Like devotion to Mary, like there's just these early, early things. So I think for me, it did become more of a like, like almost like, I feel like that question almost needs to be defended by the one trying to defend right. the newer ways. Yeah. Like yeah. why was the original stuff? Why was that stuff in those first, in those first couple centuries? Like why was that wrong? And if it wasn't, then why are we not still doing it? So, yeah, yeah, I've thought about that, too. <laughs> I like to think things logically through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I should yes. have asked him, well, a man like, okay, why was, Wing, why was Wingley right then to do what, uh, especially yes. when nobody else in the Reformation liked him, because he was, yeah, they were, they were persecuted by everybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. Yep. Oh, I don't want to keep you too too long here. Maybe one more question yeah, for you, if sure. you have a second. Yeah. Just, just to reflect on maybe, because, you, you know, you had your conversion, you've had a lot of time since, then you've mentioned theology of the body, these mm -hmm. kind of the, the rhythms of, of the Catholic faith, reconciliation, the Eucharist, things that you've grown to appreciate even more since conversion. I know for us, it's just the, the having more kids for us and raising them in Catholic and seeing the, these different things. And now for us brand new, you know, this year is seeing our son go through first communion and, and the beauty of his excitement of that and the you know the the experience of teaching him about that and watching him walk through that and his, the excitement of his friends at church for him to receive that one of his little friends was was altar serving that that mass who's in who's a year ahead of him Aww, and the joy great. when he walked in of his friends like hey buddy today's a day this is so exciting like that for us is the unexpected graces of of becoming Catholic is now 
the, raising our kids that way and passing on these these traditions. So you've also touched on that a little bit, and you write on yeah. that in, in, in beautiful stuff on, on the blog that you, you guys oh, thank run. you. It's, it's fabulous. <laughs> but what would you say if you had to boil down maybe to, to one or two things like that you've come to love since your conversion? Yeah, um, maybe, maybe two. Um, one is just, like I can't even the richness with which I appreciate how tangible our faith is. Like it cannot be understated. I can touch the bread. I can, you know, I can taste it. Um, I can drink the wine. I can hear I am forgiven when I confess my sins. I can audibly hear that my sins are forgiven. I can smell the incense. And I think for me, that connection to our physical nature, like I can touch the holy water, right? Like our physical nature, like in these body, we are bodies, right? We are bodies and souls composite. So the Catholic faith for me, understanding and appreciating that more um, just really unifies those things. For me, for most of my evangelical life, it was very much a soul thing. And in the Catholic faith, my body and my soul can both experience this faith in really rich and unique ways. And so that's one. And then I think the other one would be a pretty recent development for me. I've recently started um, seeing a spiritual director. It's one of the priests at our parish. And there was a time after I converted, honestly, for for a period where I didn't re- do a lot of individual Bible reading, almost because that had been my faith. Like that had been like what I had. I had the Bible and that was that was the thing. And so when I became Catholic, I had all these other things too. And there's a ton of Bible in the mass. Like, I mean, for all the jokes about Catholics, not reading the Bibles, like there's so much Bible in every mass. It's like, it's hilarious how much Bible's in there, but like, I kind of stepped away from that personal interpretation of the Bible because like that, I was so scared of being inaccurate at interpreting the Bible wrong because I, I didn't have really a historical or integrated context for it. So I'd kind of read my own stuff into it as an evangelical, just because that was what we did. That was all we had. We didn't have an authority. We didn't have a magisterium, you know, we didn't have anything other than this book. And so fast forward to recently when I'm, I'm seeing one of our priests at our parish as my spiritual director, and he has helped me start to dig in a bit into like Ignatian prayer and putting myself in the scenes of the scriptures and then, you know, like reflecting on that and writing about that. And I'm like, I'm reading the Bible again as a part of that because I'm literally reading stories from it and trying to imagine myself in the scene and trying to observe what's happening and where I am and who I am in the scene. And it has just caused my prayer life and my Bible, like it's come alive again, but I feel like I almost needed that break to come back and like put it in a context that was helpful for me. Like I needed to just, I needed to heal a little bit, reset, reframe. And then now is like the time that I can have that. So the Ignatian style of prayer, I know it's not like only Catholics can do that, but it's been introduced to me through my spiritual director. And it's just one more thing that's making a huge difference and helping me grow closer to God in ways I, in ways I didn't really, um, like that personal way, yeah. that personal way that we know as former evangelicals, right? Like that's, that's back again. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's really great. <laughs> that's awesome. I love you mentioned too, the tangible. I can, you know, when, when COVID hit and, and churches closed, I had a lot of evangelical friends who are not no big deal, but in a sense, 
no big deal, right? And wrote things, wrote blogs yes. that were kind of like, guys, chill out. Like, churches are closed. We're okay. We're still Christian. We'll be fine. But yeah. I was, I would react to those articles viscerally. And I had to kind of yes. step back from Facebook for a bit when some friends were posting these things. So I was like, no, 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 that, that's fine for you guys. You don't, you guys don't get it though. Like as, as Catholics, that was kind of a big deal when the parishes were yes. closed. Cause we, you, you realize how much you loved and drew from the physical, tangible receiving uh, from the chalice, receiving the host, or yes. the, the bread, the wine, like that you realize when it's gone, wait a minute, that was integral to my faith. But the evangelicals, it, it, it didn't get it in yeah. the same way, right? That was Yeah, you yeah. can have this sermon still virtually, <laughs> yes, but we couldn't yeah. receive the Eucharist virtually. Yeah. And that actually delayed our daughter's first communion. We had to like find a, we had to go out of state yeah. <laughs> to find a mass for her to have her receive her first communion. But yeah, like I cried. Yeah. I would watch the virtual mass and we'd do, you yeah. know, like the spiritual communion thing. And I would just cry. Yeah. Because yeah. I was I was devastated to not be able to be there, and we were you know we were in a place where it took a long time for our churches to open their doors again, and it just that was painful. I was so yeah. happy to be back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, well, this has been awesome—an awesome conversation, and we could go on for a long time because there's lots of yes. lots of parallels we didn't even <laughs> dig into. I mean, there's lots that, that we could that we could talk about, but we'll be here for for a long, long time. So we'll leave it there for now, and uh, to be continued maybe on theology of the body could be a whole. A whole two yes. hours on that yes. topic, which sure would be could. amazing. <laughs> yes. um, but thank you. This has been really fun. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Really enjoyed this. I think listeners will love hearing your story too. It, it's a great one. And want to hear more from you. So I wonder where you want to point them towards to find more things that you are doing, your your books, your blog, those kinds of things. Uh, I'll put those links in the show notes, but where do you want to point them towards, Lorelai? Yeah. So just for general family life, Catholic things, I started our blog, thiscatholicfamily.com right around when I was converting to kind of process things. And now it's become a life and faith thing. I'm also a regular contributor for Catholic mom. So I have an article there um, once a month, uh, pretty usually sometimes a little more, but usually once a month is, is good for that. And then my two books are both by me, um, edge of in between, the Circus of Stolen Dreams. The Edge of In Between is a deeply Catholic book. It is uh, a retelling of The Secret Garden. And I literally kept waiting for my publisher, which is Penguin Random House, like very big secular publisher, no to email me. Yeah, I was I was like waiting though for them to email me along the editorial process and be like, I need you to tone down the religious elements of this book. And that email never came. So I got to publish it and it's full of Catholic allegorical glory. And um, so I wrote that to bring goodness and beauty and truth into an arena um, where we don't get to see that as often these days. So you can find my books anywhere. Books are sold or online. As well. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. I, I love that you snuck that. I mean, that's that's cool. They didn't, they didn't get it. They're like, oh, this, no. this is really, really good. You're or like, it rang true somewhere yeah, deep inside yes, them. Yes. And they just let it fly. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I love that. That's cool. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes, uh, Lorelai. And thank you so much for being here. This has been awesome. I want to say God bless you. Uh, the awesome you work too. that you're doing for the church. And, and thanks too. for this conversation. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me.
<laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with, with, with Lorelai. We have so much in common. Our, our stories overlap in so many places that we could have talked for hours and hours, really, and dissected, I think, very minute details. Uh, being nerdy Christians in high school, <laughs> burning our CDs, giving them away uh, in youth group. Uh, gosh, so many different intersection points. <laughs> <laughs> really fun conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Let me know. Reach out. CordialCatholic at gmail.com. CordialCatholic uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok. The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And thecordialcatholic.com for my blog and show notes for this show and others. It's all there. To watch what you're hearing, youtube.com slash thecordialcatholic. Please do pop over there. That channel is growing uh, day by day. Thankfully, I love that. Videos are getting more and more popular, which, guys, if this thing can get to more more people, I, I don't care about <laughs> fame or fortune. Obviously, I'm a podcaster. I want people to hear stories like this. So if you can head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel there, that will help to grow that channel and expand the reach for stories like this one. So thank you. If you're listening on podcasts, guys, if you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, that also helps push the podcast out to new people. And if you think that you know someone who might like this show, send them a link, text them, message them, email them with a link to this show, because word of mouth is, is really how this thing truly grows and, it, and expands, and these things get out to new people. Thanks for listening, guys. Pray for me. I'm praying for you, too. God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.